FMX Network Production. You cast me, complete me till death do us part. What's up, guys? It's Alex Gray, and you're listening to the Pulp MX Wrap-Up Show. That's all we need is more fake news, Pulp MX bullshit. It's quality, not quantity, all right, man? Welcome to the Pulp MX Wrap-Up Show. This is Dark Side from the Moto X Pod Show. This is the number one wrap-up show in the moto industry, where each week, myself and a couple guests wrap up and discuss the good, the bad, and the janky in that week's Pulp MX Show. But before we get started, I want to thank all the sponsors who've come on board. Guts Racing, Michelin Bicycle Tires, Seal Savers, and Motosport.com. I appreciate all the help and support from those great companies, so please use them and support them. Also, feel free to reach out with questions, comments, or critiques by emailing me, darkside at pulpmx.com. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Yeah, I didn't sure. go to Daytona, so, yeah, you know. I guess you can't talk about it, then. No, I, I, nothing at all. Can't can't mention it. Boyfriend of Yar Yar Binks. Yeah. Sketchy as hell. Mm-hmm. I'm sideways. Every single number plate, you can see it. The impatience. And then his well race easily. gets ruined. Not even ruined. I think he just gets super impatient. I'm going to fuck you up. <laughs> I haven't played in that forever, and I just signed up, and I picked so-and-so, and I fucking won today. You're like, what? Fuck this chick, man. I think that is so dumb. Like, the last lap, I was just praying my bike would make it to the end. Really, huh? And it was fucking awesome, you know? <laughs> like, you're fucking kidding me, dude? I'm like, dude, he's fucking ripping right now. I'm like, fuck you, dude. $80, now it's 110 Fuck me, man. Seriously, I respect him, but fuck him, man, because he looks so, so good. <laughs> 1.5 behind him, like, dude, you fucking kidding me? If he's 165 at 6'2", something's going on. He's, he's malnourished. I rode with them today. With Christian and uh, Thrasher, I smoked all of them. You know, I have like three seconds on <laughs> all of them. So, so. I text him a lot before the main event, yep. and he did not text me back. Oh, 90% wide open, whole lap. Because mm-hmm. when I'm not happy, I'm usually more of an asshole than I normally am. Yeah, yeah. he seat bounce every jump on the fucking track anyway. Like, I'm not freaking trying to endo my brains out. They're lucky oh, yeah. they didn't hit their head on the bridge. Seven last year before I ended his streak and fucking cleaned him out. I hit the brakes and tried to cut on her and I freaking ran into the side of Bree. I wish everybody could have a friend like Chris Kiefer who Jesus. shoots me in the ass. Sometimes we do some stupid shit. Right? Who the fuck is Luke Hand? To me, Jet has this innate ability to be the fastest guy and not really be on the edge. My bike does what his does. It overheats. You gotta soak inside her. I've had one vagina for a long time. You've had three cocks. Like... These people are just so ridiculous. They don't fucking know the difference. I've been doing this goddamn show for 12 years. Fuck Chiz. They should get Phil. I'm not your personal fucking Google. You may ask a dumb question, but your dumb question can get fucking answered if you know how to ask it. You go get fucked. If I'm doing 80 and you're doing 65, get the fuck over. <laughs> oh, yeah, look at that asshole. Just driving behind the other asshole. Race tech around of the night. Go get fucked. I use it for my nuts. And if I'm fucking sprayed eagle, you know. If I'm doing some, like, dirty shit or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's talking about his butthole. Uh, I mean, I can feel my butthole. I know where it's at. Okay. Stand on yeah. the toilet and use the water as a reflection. No, I need a fucking, I need a banana, a peanut butter and jelly, and a fucking Dr. Pepper. <laughs> my spunk rejuvenates, Heather. Sticks out a little bit more. Going out and fucking random pussy. You're chasing some kind of ass. I mean, chasing pussy ain't a bad thing. A big but dusty ass. Now I have, like, this weird, like, gigantic right in it testicle. It's like For a, real? It's like an alien testicle. Yeah, it's like every year down Monster Alley, I get a fucking dirt clod to the testicle. Dude, I don't but, have that big of nuts. I'm out on the ass looking. Anal? You're not thinking of her taking a dump. See, it's asshole go... 
some of the craziest, do, yeah. some yeah. of the craziest chicks have the best boxes. Like, I, don't, I mean, when you're with a woman. Do you look at every inch of her when you're with? No, her? I am the one asking the questions. I am the captain now. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, guys? I'm Darkside from the Moto X Pod Show, and man, we have a banger of a show tonight with two first-time co-hosts to cover this week's Pulp Mix Show. So, with further ado, my first guest is a privateer. An owner of our jerky, and he's brought to you tonight by Guts Racing. It's RJ Wageman. What's up, RJ? What's happening, Dark Side? How are we doing? We're doing good, man. I'm excited about this one. Uh, I, I, I'm, well, let's get into it. Let's get the other guests on first. So next up, he's also a privateer, and he's a fantasy beast. He's brought to you by Michelin Bicycle Tires, Vin Murphy. What's up, man? What's going on? That's right. Fantasy champ. Don't forget it. Dude, that just makes me mad. I, you know what? I shouldn't even <laughs> brought that up. It just irritates me. So, yeah. I need What I need to do is I need to holler at you and like, hey, give me – I want the same picks as you have every week. And then like the last two rounds, let me do it on my own. So, you know, but let me – get me to the end. Tow me along. Tow me over no, the triple, yeah. man. <laughs> Trust me. I get texts all day long on Saturday. Who's a good pick? Who's yeah. a good pick? You can't give that information out. Right, I, I don't blame you, uh, RJ. Do you play fantasy? Of course, I play Pulpamex so. fantasy. Come on, are yeah. you any good? Um, you know, I have won a few rounds in our league. We have an our jerky eat our meat league with about twenty three of our close friends. So well, why am I yeah, not in that league? Maybe you're not a close friend. I don't know. Apparently, no, I'm not. just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, hey, next next year you got to buy in. It's super okay. fun. Um, we have a good time, and yeah. Uh, I've won a few times, and I feel like I do have an advantage with racing yeah. and being at the races and all that kind of stuff. But man, that's a tough game. <laughs> Super fun. It <laughs> is like we, me, and uh, TJ, my co-host, we battle back and forth of like how much is skill and how much is luck. And I'm like, look, dude, like Eli doesn't get hurt that much, right? He he's good. He's he's uh, you know he's reliable. But if I pick Eli next week and he dnfs or you know whatever that's not skill that's bad luck and i get a lot of damn bad luck when i play this game so I, I, there is some skill in it you have to know what's going on but there's a lot of luck and it pisses me off but god i love it absolutely no i totally agree with you one reason i really love the next fantasy is it it makes you kind of learn our sport more and, and mm. you got to pick riders with a higher handicap. So yep. it allows the fans to look a little deeper into the field and get to know some privateer guys that may be, you know, barely squeezing into the main and stuff like that. So yeah, I enjoy playing it and we all have a good time. Yeah. We're, we're not, we probably should already be getting into this episode, but Vin, I want to ask you since we're talking about fantasy, I had a little okay. bit of a complaint with the triple crown and having handicaps of 16. That's too high for a triple crown. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like even the last triple crown, I noticed, um, I always try to figure out who's going to be the worst of the 16s and leave him off my team. Like I know the West coast one, the West coast one, um, I left the 16 off my team and picked March banks at the one, which wound up helping. But I think you're right. I think at the triple crowns, the highest needs to be a 12. Yeah, in my opinion, but. I said ten, and then I think Mathis is like ah, maybe an eleven, but yeah, maybe they'll fix that. But anyway, all right, let's get into this week's episode. Uh, this week it was four ninety six with Chris Kiefer and Alex Ray in studio, which is guaranteed to equal some laughs, some interesting takes. And on the phone, Steve had Enzo Lopes, John Tomac, the legend that is Kyle Chisholm, Cade Clayson, and of course Fly Racing's Jason Thomas joins. And the pony coffin was in studio. That was kind of creepy to be looking at all night as I was watching YouTube. 
Uh, let's go to you first, Ben. Uh, first of all, do you watch it on YouTube or do you listen later? And what were your thoughts on this episode? So yeah, being on the East Coast, uh, it starts at eight o'clock here for me. So yep. I try to listen. I try to listen on YouTube as much as I can, just because I like to watch facial expressions, you know, physical expressions and stuff like that when I watch. And then uh, typically I'll finish it up the next day. But uh, no, I thought it was a great show. I think Enzo Lopes was an awesome interview, way better than I ever would have expected. Hundred um, percent. I think he has a great story, and he struggled the past few years. It's really cool to see him doing really well now. Um, John Tomac, of course, I mean, true legend in himself, and it was cool to get him on, and I'm excited to talk about more of the deeper things they talked about. And Chisholm, I mean, how can you hate the guy? Uh, the guy solid as a rock, and it was cool to see how this all came about, and obviously he had to go through his own process to get out of sponsorships and stuff like that to make it work, but I think it's a great opportunity, and for him, you know, coming to the closing end of his career, uh, it's going to be really cool to see him out there on that bike. Totally agree. I'm a super Chiz fan from way back. Uh, what about you, RJ? Do you watch or listen? How, I mean, or how do you watch or listen? And give me your thoughts overall on this particular episode, 496. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anytime that I have the opportunity to watch on YouTube, I actually enjoy watching it just to see kind of those guys' reaction in studio. Um, this last show, I actually listened to Tuesday morning okay. and I did not get to watch it. I know I could have replayed it on YouTube, but I just decided to listen to it. Um, the big standout for me was the interview with John Tomac. Like I really, really enjoyed listening to him call in. I listened. Um, I really enjoyed listening to his thoughts and his perspective on the sport. I mean, you know, he's got such a great mindset when it comes to racing and all that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, I, I would love to sit down and talk to him. So that's, that was amazing to me. I like, there was a couple good questions from people calling in. Um, overall, yeah, it was a really good show. Um, or whatever he, he is what he is. You know, he, he, him and I, you know, we have a few things that we're button heads on right now. Cause you know, he likes Robbie more than me. So <laughs> we'll, we'll keep that on, you know, we'll keep that even playing field for now, but no, it's cool okay. to listen to a Ray as well and, and hear some things. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love motos. So anytime, getting to hear from somebody like Enzo Lopes, you know, obviously I only know him so well, you know, we kind of grew up in the same era where I would get to watch him at Loretta's and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then he kind of had some injuries where I, he would, you know, maybe disappear for a little bit and then come back onto the scene. So it was cool to, you know, I, that's what I really like about pulp. I feel like people that call in with Mathis, you get a different side of writers where it's more relaxed. It's not as serious. You might be able to learn, and gain some knowledge from someone that you had no idea what they've been through or what they've been up to or what they're, you know, doing during the week. So that's why I really enjoy pulp. I feel like it brings out a different side of writers. Um, so overall, yeah, I, I really like um, hearing from them. Uh, Kyle Chisholm. Yeah. You got to be pumped with the opportunity he has. He took me out in Oakland in practice. So um, <laughs> well, there's, there's no hard feelings, but I, I just like to complain about it. And, uh, yeah, him and I chatted about it, but he he said he was sorry and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but he, I'm still I'm I'm still salty about it because I can be. <laughs> sure, that's you. That's fair, and you said it well about Pulp Max. I liked what you had to say. Okay, guys. So right off the bat, I like I, I don't get a lot of opportunities to really bust these balls, and right off the bat, his mic was super hot, loud, popping. Uh, you know, I noticed it pretty much right away. 
and I was like about to text Marks when some people on YouTube brought it up and and Marks or actually Marks brought it up on YouTube the chat and like he was telling Steve, "Hey, your mic's hot." And he said, "No, no, he wouldn't he wouldn't mess with it." So I finally texted Steve. I was like, "Dude, mic's hot. It's popping. People on YouTube are saying it's hot." And he finally turned it down, but he was uh Ben, he was a little reluctant. <laughs> Mark said to listen to our advice, but did you notice that? Did you notice that was kind of like it was peeking out a little bit. Yeah, I actually did. Right in the beginning, I was yep. like, what's going on here? Because I was wondering maybe if they were having the same issues they were having that one review pod where it was like choppy and mm. if it was going to record like that. And I was like, man, what's going on? And then I, like you said, I was reading the chat too. And, and then, yeah, finally it cleared up. But yeah, you should bust his balls. Why not? Yeah, he doesn't mess up very often or have technical difficulties. And I was talking yeah, to not Marks. At all. I was talking to Marks last night, and I was like, well, did Steve say he messed with it at all? And he said, no, he said he never touched it. So it's weird because, honestly, Steve's sound in studio is usually spot on. Now, he has had problems with his portable machine, his Roadcaster, which that, that was where the, I think that other issue came in. But, yeah, in studio, rarely does he have any audio real audio issues. So yeah, I was kind of actually enjoying that because it makes me feel a little bit better when I have mistakes. If I know that who I kind of look up to my bar makes mistakes too, or has problems that makes me feel better about myself. So thanks for that, Steve. But yeah, you said like shit in the beginning. So glad you got it fixed. Way to listen to the experts. Um, but hey, we got to start with some Daytona talk. Let's listen to a little bit of audio, just some general audio on Daytona, and then we'll discuss. Yeah, I didn't go to Daytona, so yeah, you know. I guess you can't talk about it then. No, I, I nothing, nothing at all. Can't can't mention it. <laughs> it. It seemed like it was wasn't as rough in as in years past. Like they prepped more sections. Mm-hmm. It seemed like it was a little bit faster than normal in areas. Yeah, they usually put like those stupid little moguls everywhere where they take the the dozer and just fucking do this with the damn okay. blade. Yep. And on Supercross suspension, that gets sketchy as hell. Mm-hmm. I'm sideways. Every single number plate, you can see it. Yep. I don't know. It did seem like they prepped the track a lot um, on Saturday. It's usually a lot softer, I think. More ruts. A lot of ruts in the corners. I didn't really see much of that. Um, How about the shadows? Shadows are bad. See, There's I, a few spots out there where I was like, oh, it looks dark. I was saying this earlier. I forgot who I was talking to. I was talking to Swap. And um, the lights are for the oval track yeah or, you know or yeah. for the nascar track so that's where they're pointed they're not pointed at the track right but they so, have some at the track yeah they yeah, have yeah, some yeah. there right. but they're not high enough yep i don't think so i think it creates some uh some glare because mm-hmm. i always felt like there's glare there i feel like it's turned more super crossy in the past few years yeah like whenever i was there in 2011 12 like i feel like it was a bit more hybrid to outdoorsy some of those corners they're so far out there outside yeah you're just like well, i'm never going out there like yeah. i don't know what it is about the design you know the, the the patch of land they have is smaller than they used to be and and carmichael's got to go around sprinkler heads he also can't have a long straight i guess because if the bikes go into the crowd now we got problems with that yeah it seems like there's less opportunities for passing and mm-hmm. there was some passing but yeah it was basically because of mistakes or look, look, look. lappers i think it was more super crossy for sure and yep. i said that looking at the track map Dude, they didn't prep the track after the 250 mate. They didn't touch it. Like, I'm not freaking trying to endo my brains out trying to get over that thing. But, I mean, I thought it was gnarly. It was definitely a lot slower speed than years past. All right. uh, So, I'm going to go to you first, RJ. And this is great that both of you guys have, you know, raced professional Supercross. Uh, First of all, fan of racing to Daytona. Have you raced Daytona, RJ? I'm sure you've been there. 
I, I actually have only been to Daytona once. Last year was the first time okay. because the West Coast Series went to Daytona. That's right. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was absolutely incredible. I mean, it way over exceeded my expectations. I did not race. Robbie did. I did do track walk. Um, but yeah, overall, an incredible facility, and I definitely hope to go back. And my plan was to race it this year, but after getting injured in Dallas, obviously I had to sit out. Yeah. Did you, did you notice watching on TV a big difference in years past? Cause like over the last couple of years, they're right. It has gotten more super crossy, which I kind of think I kind of like that better since it's part of the super cross series. I do like to go back to like my youth in the eighties, like Jeff Stanton, you know, and Mike Kodrowski and Mike LaRocco. And it was just fucking a mayhem out there it was cool but i don't think i want to see that now like do you like how daytona is now um yeah i mean that's that's hard for me to have an opinion on just because i haven't fully raced daytona yeah but um i mean yeah it's definitely more of a supercross race now and i think this year's track like the comment on this year's track overall it seemed to me like overall look, it seemed pretty basic. I mean, yeah, the rhythm after the finish, don't get me wrong. Absolutely gnarly. If you were fast. to hit that big line. Yeah. Yes. Very fast, very big. They, they were jumping so far and so high. So that's super gnarly. Other than that, I mean, the supercross sections, if you really think about the track, were more on the basic side, but yeah, I mean, the track's gnarly. I think no matter what, yes, this year it did look like it had a little bit harder pace than normal, but overall that 450 main event, I could only imagine how gnarly it was. And you kind of heard there from Cade Clayson. I mean, he was like, guys, it was gnarly. You look at that little tiny double before the bridge jump. Yeah. I mean, that looked insane. So <laughs> to me, I'm, I'm sure the track was gnarly. It had to be so physically demanding. Um, it always is, but yeah, it's definitely a little bit more on the super crossy side than I remember. Um, you know, Mike Kodrowski's married into our family. So, oh, cool. um, yeah, so I get to go to his house all the time and see the trophies and stuff like that and talk about Daytona as he's a three time Daytona winner. And yeah, it was a little different back in the day when they used to go over the, the pit lane road and it was just a little bit more, I guess you would say outdoorsy, but I still think no matter what to win Daytona in any to win any race but to win daytona and to go fast on a track like that or just to be in the main event you are an absolute beast i mean it looks gnarly yeah absolutely uh before i go to you vin uh rj does kadraski still have the ferrari <laughs> no he does not Damn. but i've heard a lot of stories about that yeah, I remember seeing that thing at Anaheim. And, you know, said, like MX Kid, I think, was the license plate. And I was like, oh, that's really, really cool. All right, Vin. What's that? He still runs the MX Kid license plate. That's like his claim to fame, but he does not have the Ferrari. Okay. Vin, uh, thoughts on this year's Daytona, like the way the track shaped up. Yeah, we're going to get to Steve's opinion of Daytona in a second. But just what do you think of the, the comments on the racing the turns, you know, I mean, I disagreed a little bit because I think it was, uh, I think it was Kiefer that said the passing wasn't that good. And I was like, dude, the RJ McAdoo battles were insane. Like those guys were just, you know, he did say, well, there's, unless there was mistakes, but I don't know, man. I thought that race was pretty damn exciting. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I gotta be honest. I'm kind of with Steve on this one. Okay. Um, just, 
like if you look at after that first rhythm, they all funnel to the outside, and then through those sand sections, a couple guys would try to go outside in that second uh, in that second sand turn where it was a right hander before the long straightaway, and they would lose so much time trying to take a different line. I think actually I was impressed with the split section because usually the split section gets a main line and there's one that's clearly faster, but yeah, I feel like yeah. all, all night it went back and forth. You see guys making passes going inside outside and then you see guys making passes going outside inside there so i thought that was pretty cool like you said i think the track was a little more super crossy than normal uh, a buddy of mine actually talked to aj Catanzaro right after the race because obviously qualified so good but then you know struggled during the race and he said the track was just so flat and super cross like that it was so hard to separate you know one another so i think i think the track was cool i thought the layout was cool i think it would have been fun to ride but um, even being at Daytona, I've been there a couple of times. Uh, once I went to race, I shouldn't have been out there at all. Uh, <laughs> but I, I went, I went to go try to qualify one year. Uh, and it's a fun track to ride, but I got to say as a, as a spectator, it's, uh, you know, I'd way rather be inside of a stadium. I think the opening ceremonies are kind of, you know, off the beaten path. They're not very exciting. There's no big screens. So yeah, yeah. I, I definitely prefer the, you know, racing inside the stadium and even just that environment. But, you know, it's it's good to switch up the series right at this midway point uh, to have something different. And like they were saying, I think it was last week on the show, it's cool that Supercross hits every point to find who the best rider is at the end of the year. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't disagree that the indoor stadiums are better, but I don't dislike uh, Daytona as much as Steve seems to. And let's listen to that audio. The Daytona fans were out in full force. Does this sway your opinion on keeping Daytona on the schedule? You seem to be the only person anti-Daytona. No, yeah, it looked like a good crowd. I've heard it was a good crowd. That's awesome. That race should go. It sucks. Yeah, I, I don't agree with that, RJ, that it should go. Uh, I, I like it. I don't know that you know. I'd want like you know having two or three speedways. Like they're talking about maybe even add another one at Vegas. Uh, I'm not so on board with that like i think one is fine maybe two i guess i mean atlanta's not bad but i agree with vin i like the indoor stadiums better but i don't agree with steve that that daytona should go how about you yeah i think daytona needed to stay i mean it's just such a huge staple in our series um with staying in florida for a full month last year with the whole west coast swing being on the east coast um i got to go to daytona a week early and just walk around i did a little tour i mean there's just something about daytona and you listen to all the riders like when they go there it is like there's this feel there's this vibe in the air i think daytona's got to stay i mean it's been around for so long um yeah it might not provide the best racing at times but yeah i thought the racing was pretty good this year um i do agree with steve though and i even said this just from watching practice some of the outsides were so far outside like you kind of had to go inside and yeah sometimes when you're racing like hey the outside might work if somebody makes a little bobble on the inside because they think you're going to be right behind them on the inside so like yeah sometimes racing does pan out and the track did race a little different like you've seen when they did cross the start straight um there was that weird kind of offset rhythm and they started going outside a lot where in practice they were only going inside so Mm -hmm. i mean Tracks obviously always race different, so I'm kind of on Steve's page with the outsides being super far away. But um, as far as Daytona staying or going, it's got to stay. It's just it's really cool. Um, 
and I enjoyed going there. So I don't think it's going anywhere. Yeah, I don't either. All right, so speaking of Daytona, Eli won his sixth Daytona Supercross. He broke a record. Uh, but like Steve mentioned, it wasn't really guaranteed all day. Uh, Eli wasn't looking like his total dominant self. Coop led most of the race. Uh, there's some differences of opinions on whether Eli would have gotten Coop had Hartraff not got in the way. Does Tomac get him if that doesn't happen? I said no in daytime. Uh, okay, I think he does. Okay. I, I I think he does too. But, but I mean, either way. Either like, way. Yeah, I don't think there's a right answer. Here's but. the thing. They're yo-yoing back and forth. Tomac had his parts that were good. Mm-hmm. Uh, to the whoops, to your credit, he was going in the middle and was jumping. Uh, he decided, hey, it's smoother on the right if I can get over here. The, 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 the line before the whoop started shifting back mm-hmm. over the right. So he's like, oh, the shit, they're fresh. He could start skimming, and he was getting better as the time went on. And he just so happens to went there, and then Shane was already over there thinking that he was out of the way. We know how Webb is. Very tough to pass. And you're within five minutes of a, yeah, a main event. Yeah, three laps off. Right he away, wasn't right, going right, to go right, anywhere. Right. I feel like it would have been yeah. very, very tough for Tomac. But Tomac to had made up three to seconds on him or so, you know, so in the last little while. So yeah. I don't know. There was a little bit of that. Uh, Vin, I love these hypothetical type questions because we don't know, right? It's just all bench racing, and that's what this is all about. Uh, Steve made a good point, right? Eli made up some time. Uh, but then, you know, Kiefer talked about like how tenacious Cooper can be. Uh, I'm, I'm on Cooper or I'm on Kiefer's side. Like, I think, I don't think Cooper loses this race if Hart Ruff doesn't get in the way. I feel like Cooper, Cooper is, uh, you know, he's intelligent enough with the way he, his racecraft that he stays in the front, uh, you know, and Mathis thinks Eli's going to take it because obviously Eli is. The king of Daytona at this point. Where do you where do you stand, man? Tell me you don't agree with Steve. No, I I don't agree with Steve on this one. Um, as as we've seen over the years, I mean, the last three laps, Coop rides like he's got another set of eyes in the back of his head. But at the same time, man, Cooper, you you see McElrath on the inside there. You cannot, oh, yeah, McElrath. Sorry, yeah, you cannot take that same line and even. Where McElrath is jumping through the woods, if Coop tries to thread that needle, I can't see it happening. Even if, you know, even if he doesn't move over that little more to the right, so I think uh, I hate to say this, but you got to put the blame on fully on Cooper there because you yep. you got to be aware that that guy's going down that side. I know he was sticking with that line, but I mean, that's win versus second place. You got to just take that shot going down the center, even though it was a line that wasn't working out for you you know, for that beginning half of the race. But I think if Cooper goes down the middle of the whoops there, you know, two or three laps to go, I, I can't see anybody passing him at that point. Yeah, I've got another question I want to ask you here in a second, but let's go to RJ. RJ, whose side are you on? Because you're, you're on the borderline of being kicked off this wrap-up show. <laughs> yeah, don't kick me off, please. But, uh, no, I'm just bummed. I really wanted to see it come down to the end. Yeah, um, me too. I. I I do agree. I mean, I believe I've watched the race twice now. I'm pretty sure the clock was at 50 seconds to go. So, I mean, you gotta think Cooper's gonna hang on to this thing with only a couple laps left. I do agree with like how Vince just said. I mean, Cooper's he knew that Miguel Routh was up there. He knew he had that trouble with uh, Vince Freeze earlier. You know, um, he kind of didn't have the best of luck with lappers, but you got to think that Cooper's going to hang on to it at that point. I do think it was going to come to the absolute wire. 
Um, but yeah, just a bummer deal with McElrath. I think McElrath kind of did the right thing. Like as a lapper, yeah, you're absolutely. always told to, yeah, you're always told to get off to the side and, and clear the track for the racer to come by. He didn't know that Coop was riding that uh, right side line through the whoops. And I think Cooper even kind of mentioned that on the podium, like there's nothing he could really do. And Cooper even said he should have probably, you know, anticipated that Shane was going to go right. He didn't mention any names, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I personally, just for the championship standpoint, I would have liked to seen Cooper win just because it would have been an even bigger point swing. And I think once it's like anybody, but you could say uh, anybody who gets a win, like they catch fire. So, you know, if Eli gets a win, he's going to catch fire. So it would have been cool to see Cooper get a win, maybe just catch a little more fire as we start to approach the later half of the season. Um, you know, it's also cool to see Eli Tomac get the sixth victory at Daytona. I mean, that's just a huge, huge deal for him. It's such a big record to set. Um, so in that way, it's also really cool to see that. So it just depends on which side of the bench you're sitting on. But overall, it was cool to see. No matter what way it went, it was cool to see it. But yeah, for the championship standpoint, I think we all would have liked to see Webb win, get his first win of the season, and, and kind of see how these um, second half of the season would go for him. Yeah, I, I was pulling for Cooper in that situation for sure. All right, so speaking of McElrath and the Lappers and A-Ray, you know, A-Ray kind of mentioned, hey, I've, I've been in that position. I've been that guy. Both of you guys are, you know, privateers. You're not generally winning heat races. Um, or whoa, I mean, main, whoa, whoa, main events. Whoa, 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 whoa. Main event. I'm kidding. Yeah, you're not generally winning main events. I'm sorry. <laughs> so each of you, uh, Vin first, have you ever been in that situation where you're like a lapper and you're like, shit, what, you know, trying not to get in the way. Like how, uh, how is your heart rate at that point, you know, and trying to decide where those guys are going to go? No, typically for me by lap two, I'm like pretty much maxed out. So <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but for me, I mean, you know, the reasoning that I race is probably different than a lot of other, these competitive guys. So if, I mean, if I see, anybody you know in the peripheral vision of myself i do the best i can to get as far out of the main line or even just pull over and roll and let those guys go because i'm like you said i'm not battling with anybody what am i battling for maybe 15th in the heat race like for me it doesn't matter i i try to do the right thing especially yeah. um in that situation but uh yeah for McElrath, i you know i was wondering maybe it was a little bit of tension at the 83 compound on monday you think uh you know, I, I don't think so. No, I'm going to say no. Yeah, I was wondering that right after the race. I was like, oh, boy, they got to go back to the track on Monday. I wonder how that's going to go. Yeah, because like, I, I like uh, RJ said, I don't, I don't think it was like, you know, he did, he did the right thing. It was, it was on, or you, maybe you said that, Vince, but Cooper, was, Cooper made the mistake, man. That's on Cooper. He should have been more aware. So I don't think so. And I'll, I'll go out on a limb here and say I was completely surprised on how strong Cooper was there. I mean, usually – yeah, he's had some pretty good results there, but man, to lead 18 yeah. minutes or 19 minutes of that race, it was damn impressive. He's coming on, guys. You wait. He's coming. I believe it. How about you, RJ? Uh, you know, like, you know, I'm sure you've raced, you know, probably when your brother's lapping you or something. Um, <laughs> come on. Uh, just come on. I'm joking. But uh, no, like being a lapper, man, talk about <laughs> you know, what that's like at that level. Yeah, unfortunately, I have been a lapper. Um, <laughs> I try not to be. My goal, especially this year, racing the 450 class, like being in the heat race, I was like, okay, like, you know, where I've qualified, I can obviously see the difference in times. And I'm like, all right, my goal 
in the heat race this year is to not get lapped by first place. So I was super, super close. And same thing, I'm battling for 15, 16, 17 in a 450 heat race. It's nothing to be necessarily fully proud of, but my goal is do not get lapped. So I remember in Oakland this year, I had gotten the white flag and I just came over. There was a sand section, then a wall of death. And I saw the blue flag as I was coming across the mechanics area corner. And I'm like, no, like, nah, I'm not going to get lapped. <laughs> And uh, I totally screwed up Sexton. I didn't realize how close he was, and I just heard him. He went triple-double, and then it was like a left, and you could go inside roll, table over single, or outside on off. And I just – I, like, freaked out. And I went just to the middle and, like, half-jumped onto the table. And, uh, I mean, I, I don't think it even phased him. But, um, yeah, I mean, being a lapper is not fun, especially, you know, everybody works so hard. But sure. – uh, yeah, the biggest thing is you, yeah, just stay out of the way, especially in somebody like in my position. You know, it's hard, but we have our own goals too and stuff like that. So we're trying to achieve them. But uh, yeah, being a lapper is not fun and you never want to cost anybody um, any time on the track or let alone a position. So yeah. yeah, it sucks. And I couldn't even imagine like you're lapping somebody like Shane McElrath, who's in 12th place in a 450 main event. Like, Shane is a bad dude. He's won so many 250 mains, outdoor nationals. Like you're, you're talking somebody who has a lot of credit to their name. So the last thing he thinks is that he's getting in the way of, you know, the, the, the race lead. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So that's tough. Yeah. All right, guys, you both are uh, privateers. You had to work on your own bikes. And if you hate changing fork seals as much as I do, you need to check out seal savers. For 22 years, Seal Savers has offered the ultimate protection to the off-road industry. Seal Savers is the first and original fork seal protection that protects your forks from dirt, dust, rocks, sand, and mud. Seal Savers will always continue to innovate and improve, which is what led to the development of the easy-to-install Zip-On Seal Savers. Not only do they have a full line of products for your motorcycle, Seal Savers has essential products that are crucial for your performance of your side-by-side -side and mountain bike. Seal Savers is the ultimate protection Enter the code PULP25 for 25% off at sealsavers.com. Uh, all right, let's get to another big topic. Jason Anderson and Mookie started in Arlington pretty much. Uh, we heard everybody's discussion on that, everybody's thoughts on that. Let's listen to a little bit of what they had to say about what happened at Daytona with those guys. Last week, I wrote in my column, and I said it on the show, Mookie's going to be pissed, and it's hard to win championships like this because now Mookie's got a chance. He's going to tee him up. And I, know if it, I didn't know if I think it was going to happen seven days later, but first of all, the, this, the second turn was yeah. not really Anderson's fault. No, it's not. That's usually oh. what you do whenever you're inside. I'm fine with what Mookie did because he was pissed. He'd had enough. And yeah. that's the way Supercross to me works. JT will argue me to the death. There's a bit yeah. of frontier justice. There's contact in Supercross, in my opinion. Can you really cut, like, can you really cut down like Mookie did? I was a little bit on Mookie to do that. Like, what are you doing? It's the second turn. Anderson's way, way low. Like, he's down very far. Yeah. Like, he's cutting across. Like, he was already planning on, it doesn't matter who was there, I'm going inside, I'm going to grab the chunk of these riders, and I'm going to go. I yeah. feel like Mookie was, uh, uh, like, turning the inside, and then Anderson was way out here, but then Anderson cut more towards the middle of the track, and, and Mookie was like, oh, mm -hmm. watch this, screw you. Okay, but if Mookie doesn't have the second turn incident with Anderson, do he doesn't take Anderson down. Bullshit. You Still, think he does? Yes. Oh, really? Yes. I think he just gets super impatient. That's not how you're going to win races, and you're going to get hurt that way. Yeah. So eventually it's going to catch up with you, but at some point you're going to have to figure it out where you're going to be like, okay, man, 
this is not good for me or you, which I heard they kind of squashed at the end of the race. They, they met up. Oh, they did? Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So I heard that they yeah. met up, uh, talked it out, shook hands, went their separate ways, and they both agreed to wow. chill out. They yeah, should. They could have yeah. went second and third or first and second in Daytona. Easily. They were fast. You get hit so many times, you get pissed. And honestly, everything else that could be in front of you that's rewarding yeah. goes out the window because you're like, fuck this. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm just done. I don't give a shit about 100 grand. That's what, I don't give a shit about anything. That's what Mookie did not give a shit. Vin, man, I'm going to go to you first. But, like, at the beginning of that audio, like, you could tell Chris did not agree with Steve that it was more on Mookie. And I, I think, I hate to say it, but I think Steve was right. You know, watching it back a couple times, I, I think, it, you know, it all stemmed from you know, another, it wasn't Jason's fault. It all stemmed from a chain reaction of other things that happened. And then Mookie just sort of maybe like Steve says, overreacted because of what happened last week. And was, that was it. He was, he was out for blood. Uh, I'm sure you've watched back a couple of times. Where do you stand? And how do you feel about these guys putting themselves in this position where championships, especially in Jason's case and, and a possible win in Mookie's case gets thrown out the window because of, you know, tempers. Yeah, no, like you said, I watched this back so many times just as a racer and as someone who likes to study the sport, trying to think about every possible thing that was going through those guys' head at the point uh, at the time. I do think Jason went pretty damn low in that corner coming in because if you watch the rest of the race, you know, it seemed like that main line in that corner before that three onto the table, they were going up real high and then cutting down the center of that corner. Um, and I think Steve's right in a sense at the beginning of a race like that, Mookie sh- probably should have just ridden that way outside and just gotten away, you know, clean in the first couple of turns there. But at the same time, that second corner contact or the third corner contact where they got together completely, Mookie followed that same line that Coop went through. And I, I hate to say it like this because a lot of people are probably going to disagree with me, but it seemed like Mookie was just, you know, going through that corner and then maybe he wasn't expecting Anderson to get across that rut that he was going through that fast. But at the same time, I mean, if you're Mookie and you just were winning the race last week and that happens to you, I mean, I'd be out for blood too. So Yeah. I kind of thought the same thing. Like I thought the way Jason cut across that rut might've been a little bit unexpected. Like I'm not saying Mookie wasn't out for blood, but I don't think he expected it to happen the way the contact did. Uh, you know, I think maybe he expected Jason to go a little wider and then take the front wheel out or something. But the way they came together, I I felt like it might have been a little unexpected. What about you, RJ? Where do you stand? What did you see? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm with both of you guys on that. Um, it's a bummer for sure. I mean, it's the opening lap um, <laughs> of the 450 main event. So it's chaotic for sure. Um, Anderson, you know, he did. He came in hot, but he did come in super low. He made contact with Tomac. Tomac make, makes contact with Malcolm. I mean, and then obviously Malcolm, if you watch um, Amart's vlog, you can. it's a perfect view of the, that second corner. And Mookie goes off the track. I mean, he's pinned. He uses the landing of that three on off to hop back on the track. I mean, it's executed perfectly where Mookie sees Anderson and he I believe he's going for Anderson like that's all he saw was that green Cowie 21 he's going to you know try and hunt Anderson down and probably make some contact it was super weird how it came together I mean it was weird where they made contact in corner three and how they both crashed but I mean it's a bummer they definitely you know ruined each other's nights and then 
that's a huge point swing for both of them. But yeah. um, especially, especially for Anderson being so close, you know, only coming in six down. So yeah, I'm glad that they squashed it. I listened to Me some too. interviews after the race, you know, I mean, we want to see these guys both charge forward and Anderson's had such a great year, but um, Mathis keeper, they all talk about, you know, Dungey, Villapoto, um, and maybe who else did they talk about? A few others at Tomac, you know, RC, they don't yeah. have, yeah, Carmichael. They don't have these weird little debacles um, that Anderson's had. And that's, you know, why I think they're commenting why they've become champions so many times over and over. I'm not saying this is over for Anderson at all. Like he is ripping this year. He looks really, really good, but he definitely has got to keep himself out of trouble. I mean, I personally think Anderson should have won Anaheim one. Yep. Um, and, and he had those few little issues there. And it's like, um, I think Jason's a rad dude. I personally love his style on the dirt bike. I mean, he can make a mistake look good. So <laughs> yeah, for um, sure. yeah, I'm a Jason Anderson fan for sure. Um, I, I don't think he's done. I, I don't think he's necessarily worried about this. There's a lot of racing to go, but, um, yeah, I'm glad that they squashed it. Uh, it's a bummer that it happened because I do, I do believe that they were both going, you know, probably going to be podium guys that night. Like they were riding really good and it would have been cool to see the race unfold that way. But I mean, Hey, it, it happens and there's been some build up over the last couple weeks and at least it's squashed now. Yeah. The, the hundred thousand dollar, you know, comment that Kiefer made, they don't give a fuck at that point. Or like I, I'm going through my mind going, dude, if I'm on that motorcycle, I don't, I don't know that I've ever been mad enough at somebody that I would be like, all right, I'm going to kill this guy instead of winning, you know, a hundred thousand grand, a hundred grand or, or I'm going to kill this guy. And I don't care that I might get my first ever super cross win. Like, I feel like I would be able to get through the race and then maybe I'd go back to the trailer and we'd throw down or something. And I don't know what those implications would, you know, I don't know what the AMA would probably be a fine, but at least I'm, I got my points. Like, I think, yeah. I, I think with that kind of money, I would hope that I could be like, fuck this. I'm, I'm waiting until after <laughs> the race because man, that just blows my mind that these guys just get so boneheaded and like, and just throw all that away. I just, I can't wrap my brain around that. It is a little bit of a lack of maturity, you know, and, and, and I mean, I know the racer and all of us, we do get, I've been mad at people before. I've been mad at buddies, you know, and taking guys out, but never, never with that kind of money on the line, man. I'm just whew, blown away. Uh, anyway, let's talk about a couple of just random topics that came up during the show. Uh, caller David, he called in. And he was a little upset with Jet uh, Jet Lawrence in the press conference. Did he, first of all, did either of you watch that or hear that? The the press, not the not the audio from the show, obviously. No, I, I listened to a little bit, not the whole thing, unfortunately. But yeah, I did get to listen to a little bit after I heard that comment. Uh, RJ, you? Um, all I heard was the comment. You know, I meant to listen to the press show, yeah. but I did not. Okay. But I did hear his comments on that. So I like you know I do I I'm involved with the press conference pretty much every week and like. To me, what I'm seeing is Jet so showing some personality. These these kids, I'm gonna call them kids that are in the 250 class. Man, they're they're laughing with each other, with each other. We saw it on the West Coast with like Joe Shimoda and Hunter, and they're kind of making fun of Michael Moseman. Like they're just they're they're ha they're doing what we really say we want. They have some personality. They're not just being. Oh uh, yeah, I want to thank you know Monster Energy Kawasaki. It was a great race. My bike was good. Like they're they're joking with each other. And he brought up the Fortner comment and what I think, I don't remember exactly what McAdoo said, but he's like, said something along the lines, I'm the only 
pro circuit Kawasaki guy left and Jet said, yeah, that's kind of my fault. Basically, something along those lines. Like, he wasn't making fun of the fact that he took out Austin. I mean, he was making a little bit of a joke, but he was like, yeah, that's on me. And, like, that's personality, man. I like that, Vin. I mean, I think... That's what our press conferences need, in my opinion. I, I want to see these guys be human beings and, man, make me interested in what they're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also, like, uh, regarding the show, like, uh, somebody who calls in or a racer who calls in who's going to be more open is way more enjoyable to the guy who's going to give that press release. Yeah, bike's good. <laughs> you know, I've been riding well, right? It's the same old song and dance over and over again. But, I mean, it. For me, it's cool that, you know, instead of Jet just being silent, yeah, he does put the blame on himself, you know? It's not like he's like, well, it happens and it happens. But he said, you know, that's on me. That's my fault that this happened. And it was cool because most guys would just keep a tight lip and not say anything all, at all about it. Yeah, absolutely. So if you guys happen to listen to Pulp but didn't see the press conference and are kind of wondering what happened, that's it, man. I mean, I don't think I don't think it was anything, you know, no, no disrespect to David, but I think he's... I think he's looking at it in the wrong way. So, uh, yeah, I think Jet was laughing at some different things that were going on. Just, man, he's being a kid, man. He's having a good time. He just won Daytona, you know. I mean, shit, it was – he was happy, man. It was awesome, you know. He was, he was making fun of himself for the terrible burnout because DB kind of called him out on it. Uh, you know, so it was – yeah, it was light, man. I liked it. So I hope they keep doing that stuff. And touching on what you just said, Vin, about personality and being more open, Enzo Lopes – you mentioned this when I, we first started this thing that you were a little bit surprised, and so was I. I had basically very – well, I shouldn't say that. In the past, I've had very little expectations out of Enzo because I don't know much about him. I got to spend a little bit of time in the Club MX truck with him and Steve and Weege at Arlington, and like I was like, I told my buddies, like, dude, this guy's got personality. He's funny. And we saw that Monday night. Uh, I'll go to you first, RJ. Like, Enzo – I became a fan, a bigger fan of Enzo's at Arlington, kind of just shooting the shit with him. But his interview Monday night was my favorite of all of them. The John Tomac one was really good, but Enzo, Enzo took the cake. He was my number one for Monday night. I agree. He uh, he was amazing. Yeah, it was great to just hear, you know, a different. Like I said earlier, it was just good to hear a different side of these writers, and I feel like he really opened up and shared some good knowledge with us. And then, um, yeah, he was super thankful too. He was like, this is great. I don't really get to do a lot of, you know, press stuff like this. And it's good to, you know, have more people, um, get to know me and hear me and hear my side and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I do agree. I, I enjoyed listening to his story, you know, kind of listening to what they do at club and, uh, and hearing different things just about like, if you take Daytona, for example, if he wasn't on there, Personally, I wouldn't have known that they had any bike problems, mm, um, yep. you know, starting from the beginning with their clutch and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I like to know yeah, that. He was open about it's, that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what our sport needs more of. Like, yeah, like we want to keep it stupid because we don't want, you know, I'm not going to name any companies, but say you're using a certain clutch company. Like they don't want to be like, oh, we don't have any, we don't have any clutch problems. It's like, yeah, I agree. Like 90% of the 95% of the time you know, a certain company is not going to have any issues and we're not putting any blame on any of those companies, but it's kind of cool to hear like, Hey, they're having these problems. Like he said, the last two or three laps, like all he was trying to do is just make it to the finish line. 
I had no idea. I thought he was hauling ass. <laughs> well, he was getting fifth, fifth place. Like, yeah. But he he was limping his bike to the finish line, and and that's cool for me to hear. Just being a racer and hearing all these things, and they're changing clutches after every practice session after the heat race. I mean, there's a lot of action going on. There's not much time to get that done from the heat race to the main event. So that's cool to hear. Um, and yeah, I just enjoyed hearing what they do at club. I didn't know that he, you know, I I'm super involved, but I didn't know that he lived with Nicoletti. I didn't know that, you know, his sister dates Nicoletti. Like I didn't know any of that kind of stuff. So to me to listen to all that kind of stuff and just hear some more personality, I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was cool. Well, I have a lot of that audio. We're going to listen to that in a minute, but before we get to some of the audio, I want to ask you guys both this question. Mathis kind of mentioned he's the most successful pulp, you know, athlete so far with the sticker deal. So my question is, and I'll go to you first, Vin, is is Enzo doomed by the pulp sticker before the season's over? Well, see, like this is something I wanted to get into about Enzo is he's in his fourth year of Supercross, and a lot of people might not know that, but he was, and I hate saying this because he is such a good rider, but he was always a guy who had a lot of speed that crashed out a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were talking about, you know, he's so solid this year, and it's, I think it's a maturity thing. I think... You know, he probably had a really good off season with all the guys at Club MX. Like he was saying, he's riding with so many guys. It's helping him so much. And I was like, man, for for Steve to pick a guy like that has a history of crashing out a lot, we might be seeing the same thing with the pulp curse. But, you know, I'm pumped to see this. You know, it's a guy who has been pretty much at the bottom. He's had a factory ride, but he's gotten hurt so much. But it's cool to see him coming up now. And, he's, and he has been really solid. And the speed's there, clearly. And I think it's going to put him like uh, on the top of a lot of factory teams list for next year. If he can keep this up for the rest of the year. I like that. So you don't think the, the pulp sticker deal is a a bad omen for him. You think he'll be able to push through. It might be like reverse juju. Like usually it makes good guys bad, but now it might be making a guy who used to crash out good. (laughs) All right. All right. RJ, you think it's a good thing? You think it's going to work out? We're okay. Yeah, I think we're good. I'm with Vince on this. I like his I like his perspective on it. And yeah, yeah, I think he's going to be fine. Let's listen to some of the audio. We've already talked on some of the topics, but let's listen to a little bit of his uh, just what he had to say Monday night. You had a little bit of clutch issues at the end of the uh, at the end of the thing. Well, we we've had clutch issues the whole day at Daytona. Every time we hit the track, come back, change clutch because it was fried. Oh, no, it's definitely a big step. And this year, my perspective was a little bit, bit different. I just wanted to. Be more conservative on the first round because my season openers before, they were really bad. Mm-hmm. So then I got eighth on the first one. And then triple crown, after I had that uh, thing happen with my break, rear break on the first, I'm like, dude, I got nothing to lose. Yeah. Last qualifying, I was P3, like one-tenth of second, which was RJ, and like half a second from Jet. And it was fucking awesome, you know? <laughs> I'm just living the moment right now and... uh not thinking about points or anything, just trying to do my best. Was it big, uh, big Brazilian people there? Oh yeah, oh yeah, a lot, a lot of people. Like some people, they just flew in from Brazil to the race just to watch me. So it's quite crazy. Like the same time, man, you have a chance to get third in the points here if you keep this up. Yeah, I know. I, I'm, I'm too down from from styles, and uh, I mean, like I said, I'm just trying to live the moment. I feel like I'm in a good, uh, good mm-hmm. uh, space right now, and. Uh, I'm just uh, gonna take one race at a time. I feel like I can do really good. The key thing, you gotta stay up. You gotta finish these races. You can't crash out. Like that's what's gonna help him a lot. A lot of these guys are fast as shit, but right. they end up crashing. I watch the race sometimes. Feeling it's like, dude, they're 
it feels like they're racing the last race of their lives, you know? <laughs> then you watch a guy like Jet that looks like he's not going as fast, but yarding all these guys. Can you process that and figure out what the hell's going on? Dude, seriously, I respect him, but fuck him, man, because he looks so so good. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> like well, I think it was uh, at the Triple Crown race. Like I, I was P five on the mm-hmm. board. I felt like it was a good lap, and I went back and I'm like one point five behind. I'm like, dude, you fucking kidding me? Like, is that even possible? <laughs> I watched videos, and it's like it's like uh, how to say effortless. Yeah. yeah. Dude, I, I love his thoughts on Jet. A guy that's so talented, like Enzo, at that, you know, right there at that elite level. But then his reaction to Jet is so fantastic. But I want to move on to Enzo and Phil. You brought it up a little bit, uh, RJ. Dude, some of this audio was so funny, and the stories were so good. Let's listen. Enzo uh, catching and passing Phil. That had to been great. That had to have been great. <laughs> Dude, tell me about it. It's funny because like. We're, I mean, I'm living at his place right now, so, like, we're always together. Like, yeah. we fly together, we stay at the RV at Daytona together, and, like, we're together at the truck. You're fucking kidding me, dude? <laughs> I'm like, dude, he's fucking ripping right now, but, I mean, yeah, me? pass him. I was, I was, making, I was making fun of him because I put two laps uh, in one lap on him. I got better in the wolves, so Phil doesn't make jokes about like ripping through through me in the wolves. <laughs> Does he turn the heat up yet? What what's the like? What's the No, no, it? dude. No, no. Don't get me started cuz he was already <laughs> mad I left my light on my room for like 1 minute. He was he was saying, "Oh, I'm going to charge you for electricity." <laughs> I'm like, "Fuck you, dude." It's funny cuz Phil like I mean, for the people that doesn't know him, he sounds like this grumpy guy, but like he I don't know how to explain. He's a really nice dude. Eighty dollars now. It's one hundred and ten. Fuck me, man. I'm in the middle of it, you know. So it's hard for me, man. <laughs> it's really hard. Poor like, Enzo. A lot of people don't talk about me, but yeah, poor Enzo, because I'm in the middle. Like I don't want to be in the middle of it. <laughs> You're always in the middle. Yeah, I just. Yeah, listening to the complaints of both ends. Oh, so like geez. when everything is cool, like it's awesome, but when shit hits the like the the vent, like yeah. I mean, dude, <laughs> I hear my sister complaining and Phil and oh. oh fuck him, and then she's like fuck him too, you know? I'm like, <laughs> you're like get me out of here. Oh, uh, that was great, great interview. I think all of us have agreed how good of an interview he was. So fantastic stuff. So I, w- I sent you guys a text, uh, Vin. You first. Who is one of you? Like, give me your favorite co-host and maybe your favorite guest all time. So I'm a I'm a huge DB fan, Daniel Blair. Man, he, okay. To be in studio, I think he is super intelligent about what he speaks on. But I think what like uh, co-host wise, Steve does a really good job with like um, like each co-host compromises the other. So like he brings in two guys that work really, really well together. And I think we saw that even this week with Kiefer and A-Ray, like they're both two really loose guys. Like they will say anything under the sun. You know what I mean? Um, and, but I think, you know, racing wise and breaking down the sport, uh, I think Blair takes that crown for me and calling wise, like I was talking about before, I love when AC calls in because he's super open. He'll give, every single detail of what he's feeling, what's going on. Uh, and I really enjoy hearing that, especially because, you know, guys like me, I don't get to hear that much. You know, I have my friends who are at that level, but to hear from a guy like AC, uh, I really enjoy when he calls in. 
Good picks. How about you, RJ? Who you got? Yeah, I'm right there with Vince. Uh, Vince kind of hit the nail on the head when he said anybody that's super open. So I like when people come on the show and, and they, you know, elaborate on what's going on. Give us some behind the scenes, um, you know, intel on what they're working on, what they're dealing with, all that kind of stuff. So somebody in the studio, it, it's tough to beat Daniel Blair. I mean, I I enjoy listening to him talk, even when he does Blair's breakdown or, you know, when he does uh, live coverage at the race and especially when he's trackside. I mean, he's really, really good. Um, I like Weege. I think Weege is awesome. He's super good. He just he's can carry a conversation and elaborate on tracks. And he knows a lot of these riders just from working with them at such a young age from announcing Loretta's all the way through the big leagues. Um, so I really enjoy that. Um, I like when obviously Kiefer is great too. Um, you know, he does a good job, but you know, he still needs to, to think about who his favorite wageman is. So we'll leave that off to the side. Um, as far as people calling in and even in studio, I mean, you got Villapoto, you got Zach Osborne. I mean, I think Zacho does a really good job. Mm. He shares some good insights. Um, I like the seven deuce deuce. So, yeah, I mean, it's tough to narrow it down, but I think, you know, Jim Hawley, he was really good in studio a couple weeks ago. I think it's just yeah, anybody was. who, yeah, anybody who can tell some stories and has been around the moto scene and isn't afraid to kind of share like what goes on behind closed doors. That's fun to listen to, you know, because in being in my position, there's so many things that the average person doesn't get to see. So for the top guys, you know, you think that, hey, like, they don't even you. Th- you would think the top guys don't go through certain things, but they do, yeah. and it's cool to he- it's cool to hear that. So anybody who's willing to open up and and talk about it, and that's why I mentioned John Tomac at the beginning of the show to to hear him talk about some things that him and Eli had gone through. I was like baffled. I was like, wow, that's really cool. Like, thanks for sharing that. You know, like it kind of makes you feel like, hey, you're not alone. And yeah, they're they're winning all the races, but it doesn't mean they're the superheroes at all times, you know. Yeah, so that's kind of my that. my view on it. I love that. We're going to get to John Tomac in just a moment. Um, Guts Racing, guys. Guts Racing was established in 1990 as a premier off-highway seat manufacturing company, offering high-performance seat covers and foam for motocross, supercross, and off-road competition. Guts Racing has worked with every top rider at some point in their career, from Steve Lampson and Jeremy McGrath in the 90s to Ricky Carmichael and James Stewart in the 2000s, and today with Rockstar Husky, Pro Circuit Kawasaki, and many more. If it's style performance you want, you've come to the right place. Check out GutsRacing.com for info on the many products offered, such as the Phantom Light Seat Foam. And I'm going to give another shout-out to another Pulpamex sponsor, not a sponsor of the, of the, the wrap-up show, but your company, RJ, our jerky, Eat the letter R, eatrjerky.com. Uh, there is a promo code for Pulp. I, do you even know what it is off the top of your head? Yeah, it's PulpMX20. Okay, there's another code that you can find from another podcast, but I will be nice and not mention it on here. PulpMX20, though, <laughs> go get you some jerky, guys. Man, every week, even when I'm at the races, like at Minneapolis, I had a package of our jerky, eatourjerky.com. I did not use the pulp code. Sorry, I used my code. But I shipped it to Minneapolis, and while we're in the press box, I'm eating the seven-deuce-deuce beef brisket jerky or the, the my favorite, the sizzling hot and guzzling water because it honestly, RJ, it's the best, some of the best jerky I've ever had. I mean, all the flavors are 
freaking so good. And it goes to supporting yourself and your brother's racing as privateers. So it's a way for the, the fans of the sport to give back to you guys so that you can keep doing what you're doing. Yes. No, thank you very much. And correction. Sorry, okay. I stand corrected. Pulp 20 is the code to save on eatourjerky.com. P-U-L-P 2020. Pulp 20. 20% off all online orders. And yes, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Um, yeah, Robbie and I are having a really good time with it. We've been super busy. And uh, yeah, we have a brand new website that's working really well. You yep. can now subscribe to our website so you can get uh, our jerky shipped to your doorstep monthly. And we love it too. We eat it all the time. Yeah. So yeah, eatourjerky.com. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I was chowing down. You guys uh, sponsored Vin last year at... Uh, well, in his Supercross races, I, I, that's kind of how I found him, walking through the pits at Houston, and I saw the big ER Jerky logo, or Eat Our Meat, I think is what it said on the shrouds. But either way, yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm, I, go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm still waiting on my paycheck. I, I'm not really saying <laughs> those guys over there. Well, <laughs> uh, well visit, visit ERJerky.com and get you some of that stuff, man. Support the boys, and it's a great snack while you're watching Supercross, while you're hanging out Monday night, watching Pulpamex. Man, you cannot go wrong with ERJerky.com. All right, a couple things here, man. Christian Craig's post uh, on being at Daytona, Steve was a little bit – he didn't like it, uh, RJ. He's like, you know, tell us what you're doing. Like, don't be so secretive. Don't make us think that you're racing – Dude, I I think that's cool for the like the average fans. Like they're like it gets them excited, right? We saw it because people are like, oh shit, Christian's gonna race four fifties. You know, oh my god, you know they they were freaking out. Like it built some hype. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, I mean, I agree in a sense, but also I do see Steve's side. Like it's tough. I, like I just said, I'm really into I'm getting tired people of that shit. are really. <laughs> I'm I'm really into people that are super open. So it, I would have been pumped to, you know, get, you know, Craig, he does his vlogs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It would have been super cool for him to just post on his Instagram story. Like, what's up guys? Like I'm going to Daytona to do some writing for, um, Carmichael and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, do some GoPro and lip pro stuff. Like I would have been like, dude, I cannot wait to watch this. So, it depends on what side you're looking at, but I mean, I'm a little bit on Steve's side, especially like I understand he's opened up this, you know, deal to where he has anybody who wants to contact him. Like he's like, Hey, contact me. So I can imagine all the people that are like, what's Christian Craig doing, you know, because I even see it. And I'm like, what the heck is he doing? You know? <laughs> but I'm like, I'm like, you know, like that's kind of weird if he's like there and like he gets to just ride press just because I'm like, Oh, that's kind of like, that's weird. You know, I'm like, ah, like our sport needs to kind of maybe be like, Hey, like you're either racing West or you're either entered in the four class. Like it's black and white, but it's the worst take I've I, ever heard. <laughs> oh man. Come on. Agreed. But, um, <laughs> it, it's, it's cool. It's cool. What he got to do. I enjoy watching him. I mean, he's a phenomenal rider. Yeah. Um, he's ridden with us a bunch before. So I truly appreciate his skills on a bike and all that kind of stuff. But, no, it was cool, but, I I kind of got to go with Steve on this. Like, just tell us what you're doing. Like, it's cool. Like, I want to know. I want to know what everybody's doing. Like, I enjoy that. I, I love Instagram. I love YouTube. It's cool to get a different view of our sport. So that's just my take. But right, whatever. That's wrong, but whatever. Go ahead, Vince. Vince, tell us. Tell me wrong. You know, prove <laughs> well, me wrong. Well, actually, <laughs> let's move on, man. We're I didn't, we're we're a good ways into this thing. We still got a lot to talk about. So, and Vince, Vin already said that he agrees with me that that was a worst take. So it's, that's all that matters. 
let's <laughs> let's go to Vin uh, Vin on um, Kyle Chisholm. This I didn't pull any audio from Chiz, but here's what I want to talk about mainly. Chiz is a fantastic interview, in my opinion, for some of the reasons we already talked about. He's open. You don't have to just drag shit out of him. Like you, like when I interview Chiz, I come with about three questions because he gives you so much information and so much detail, and he loves talking about what he's doing, what's going on, you know, whether it be the Bobby Reagan stuff and, you know, going to see Bob, Bobby saying, hey, we'll figure out your sponsors later, uh, joking about, you know, riding with Thrasher and Christian and smoking them. But regardless, Chiz is just a great interview. I, now, I am biased because he is my guy, but I, I just, I think he's fantastic. You know, he's not a guy that locks up. He's great. No, yeah, 100%. And I, I'll make a, uh, a long story short, but, um, you know, I got a few New York boys down there at, at Star Yamaha, so I get some insight, you know, from what's coming out of that place. But uh, I got word, I think it was Thursday night, oh, we're hearing Chiz is going to fill in. And I was like, yeah, right, that's not going to happen. And then uh, another buddy of mine was at that Tampa race, and he was like, yeah, Chiz just pulled out and left. And I was like, holy crap, maybe, maybe <laughs> he pulled out because he did get this call. But no, yeah, Chiz is awesome. And and what a lot of people don't see is that all these guys or most of these guys are really good dudes. Yeah. Um, like yeah. I've, I've, I've gotten the pleasure. I met Chiz down at Tampa MX years ago when I was probably 16 or 17 and I'd park next to him and he, he talked to me like, like I'd known him for years. So it was, it was cool to have him on, you know, obviously right after this big news broke, but like you said, to hear him go in depth of, you know, how him and Bobby Reagan know each other. I was like, wow, you know, that's a pretty cool story that mm -hmm. they're, you know, Bobby and his dad, you know, work together. They, they own two totally different businesses, but they work together in a sense. And, and it's cool to see, um, how excited he was. And, and probably, you know, when he got that call, like he said, he probably thought it was, oh, it's probably just something for my dad, but you know, it turned out to be something way bigger than that. Yeah, it's great. I, I and I I'm not even going to go to you, RJ, because if you say anything negative about Chiz, you're clipped. So <laughs> I'm with Vince on this one. I totally agree. All right, let's move on to John Tomac <laughs> because this was a guest you guys were both really excited about. And I'm not a big mountain guy, mountain bike guy. So, like, I wasn't, I didn't have a positive or negative feeling with John Tomac coming on. I actually did think, though, that he would be kind of closed off. He was exactly the opposite of that. Uh, very upfront again, very open. RJ, uh, John was a, a great guest. Like I, I, again, not I didn't have any, you know, any set predetermined thoughts on what that interview was going to be. Other than I kind of was like, yeah, I don't know that I'm going to be. I thought they were just talking about mountain bikes a lot. You know, I thought he'd beat around the bush about Eli's move and not give us anything. I was completely wrong. I'm with you on that. I expected just from kind of, kind of growing up in that era, you know, he would maybe be a step ahead of me, um, throughout the amateur ranks and all that kind of stuff. Um, they were always super secretive and Eli was always like kind of the kid at the races that was always kind of by himself, you know? Yeah, so yeah. when I, when I heard John Tomek was coming on, I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm really interested on, in, you know, what are they going to talk about? Are they going to share any information? And when he kind of opened up about stuff all the way back from Geico Honda to now his current deal at star Yamaha, I was like, wow super impressed that was really cool and and i really really enjoyed that interview i actually made my dad i was like dad you gotta listen to this like this is really cool just to kind of hear you know about 
all his days back from, you know, how Honda was developing a new bike and then they wanted him to race the older bike. And then, yeah, you know, a, his yeah. mechanic, yeah, his mechanic at the time went to Cowie with him and then Cowie let him go and all this kind of stuff. And that's what I was saying earlier to hear the ups and downs and all that kind of stuff. And to just really hear it from somebody like John Tomac, somebody, a, a family who you think like, Hey, they're, you know, they don't really get out and, you know, post on Instagram or, or talk about things very much, especially on that note. Um, that was super cool. And just to really think when I think somebody called in or they talked about like Eli and John's relationship, how it's been so strong all the way from his amateur ranks to the current date. Now it's like, wow. Like you think of that, a lot of parents do butt heads and they have such a great relationship and they have become such a power couple. Um, it's really cool. And it's incredible what they've achieved together as a team. I totally agree. I'm going to play some audio uh, about some of the stuff you just mentioned, and Vin, I'll get your thoughts on it. Uh, you didn't jump to Star Yamaha for the money. You 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 went there for uh, you know a chance at a, 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 a equipment change that would propel Eli. I was not in the camp, John, of this is going to make Eli a better rider because he's getting older and. You know, this kind of stuff doesn't happen in our sport. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a gamble. We could have stayed at Cali, and yep. and Eli could have cashed his check and you know and wrote it out. You know, Eli felt like he had more in the tank. You know, as far as mm-hmm. results go, in order to um, kind of change it up on the equipment side, we had to make the move. You know, and and we pushed. You know, I pushed the Cali guys pretty hard that last season to to take some pretty big swings at changing some of the stuff we had on the bike. And yep. They just wouldn't go to where we wanted to go and try things. And, you know, we wanted to try to really push the envelope, and they, they were just too conservative. Mm-hmm. So, yep. I mean, that's that's how I'm going to say it. They were too conservative. Um, and I'll leave it at that. There's a window that they feel their bike works in, and they don't want to go outside that window. When you're at the top, you're like, you know, I spend my whole freaking life taking risks. Yeah. And I, w- I want to I take a risk on this bike setting. You know, let's do it. Let's right. try to make this thing. Let's try to advance this, you know, program. You know, and Eli's like, I'm not racing that fr- that other frame another year. So that's how he ended up on Cowie. Okay. So yeah. We took Gilmore with us to Cowie, and then a couple months into that deal, you know, the results weren't great, and so Cowie let Gilly go, and that was a that was a pretty big blow to us. The thing with Gilmore and Eli is they have a special communication, and when Eli says something about the motorcycle, Gilly knows what he's what Eli's talking about. When Eli comes on board. They've never seen what he does from any other ride. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a good point. We had the Japanese engineer out here one time, and they, they had a throttle sensor on there. And he, he's like, okay, let's go do some moto laps. <laughs> and the guy comes back to the shop, downloads the the data, and he's like, oh, my God. And like, what's up? And he's like, oh, 90% wide open, whole lap. Okay. That's one thing with, you know, like with this team is if something's – if we if we want to try something, we can try it, and and they'll they'll take those big swings. They're not scared. Then okay, I'm going to get your thoughts. But like one of the things that stood out in that that audio that from Monday night that I was like John saying like I like basically I went to Kawasaki with some things we wanted to change. Like I knew John was pretty involved with Eli's program. I didn't really realize that he really was. Maybe a little like involved with the team too. Like I figured, okay, he's he's dealing with Eli back home. He's dealing with he's talking to Eli, you know, at the track one on one. But I didn't really know that Eli or uh, John was that involved with decisions being made within the team and set up and like being involved with that. That that was maybe a little unusual, but that stood out to me. But I I mean, 
everything he said seemed pretty uh, on point. Yeah, I got two things about this. Like okay. you said, that's you got to think. I mean, Eli, what is he? Twenty nine years old, twenty eight yeah. years old, yeah, twenty eight. I think you got. I mean, maybe it's time that he should start talking to the team himself about what he wants to change. That's what I was thinking yeah. a little bit. Yeah, but no, and especially because you know, you, of course, but yeah. you, you know, you hear a lot of stories about parents getting too involved, and then it you know it starts problems within the team. Uh, you've heard that from multiple guys in the past, and then. Uh, the other thing that like the polar opposite is you would think a team like Kawasaki, you have Eli Tomac, who arguably in the past five, six years is the most dominant guy in our sport, uh, could be him or Cooper Webb, but you would think with a guy that good, he would, they would want to make a change for him to make him feel better, you know, and that, that has always thrown me off when you hear that about Kawasaki, even like when you go back and you listen to the stories about Stewart, I mean, you had a guy who could have won three, four, five titles in a row for you. And, you know, as a team, you're not willing to take the chance to make your rider maybe three, four, five percent better. Yep. That, that to me, that's also really weird. It is. And Steve's talked about that a few times, you know, RV or whatever. Those guys are like, no, this is our bike, ride our bike. You know, you can it, it make it, it works. And yeah, they're not really willing to make those those little minute changes or maybe not so minute, but yeah, it's that, that I find that odd too. It's interesting. Something else that kind of stood out, and I don't know how this, if what the reaction to this will be, but listening, I didn't catch it Monday night, guys, but listening back when I was pulling this audio last night, when John talks about the Japanese engineer, he basically, he, he, he speaks in like an Asian accent, which shows how old school to, uh, John is because <laughs> that would not be acceptable anymore. Like it's considered, you know, to me, I, I grew up in the same era. Like I, I think that shit's funny, you know, I, I don't know, but like that would not really be kosher anymore. <laughs> and when I heard it back when cutting the audio, I was like, Oh shit, that's, that's uh yeah, that's, that might, that could be, you know, that could be hated on a little bit, but I don't know. <laughs> Made me laugh. I don't care if somebody mocks me. I mean, I, I, fucking I, Steve mocks and makes fun of me all the damn time. But I, I don't know. That just caught me off guard. I don't know if anybody caught it Monday because I didn't Monday. But anyway, that, that I don't know. I thought it was funny. Not, yeah, absolutely. I caught that. And uh, I go to a pharmacy school, so I'm pretty sure you could probably guess the demographic. Yeah. Like, yeah so, you know, that doesn't fly around me. But no, I mean, like you said, it's old school, and he's—I mean—he's an old school guy from the Midwest. Absolutely, you know. I, yeah, so. I don't think he meant. He, he, I'm sure he didn't mean any disrespect. So anybody that's offended, yeah. oh, fuck you. I don't want to tell you. Yeah, you got, yeah, take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, yeah. There was a couple other cool things he talked about. You know, like uh, Eli using the clutch as a tool, and then the the training, overtraining, the staying healthy topic. That was all really cool. If you guys haven't for some reason listened, go check out the interview. I do want to thank Michelin Bicycle Tires. Steve promotes Michelin Motorcycle Tires, the Starcross Fives, all the time. Randy Richardson and Michelin Bicycle Tires, a proud sponsor of this very wrap-up show. And in 1891, Michelin patented the first detachable bead pneumatic bicycle tire. And to this day, Michelin continues to innovate and produce world-class podium-finishing products for both road and mountain bikes. If you'd like to ride the same Michelin Bicycle Tires as mountain bike legend Cam Zink and the 2019 EWS champion Sam Hill, Visit bike.michelin.com for all the details on Michelin's extensive range of bicycle products, including the Mountain Wild Enduro, the E-Wild, the XCR Competition, uh, Power Road Tires, and the new BMX Tires, all thanks to Michelin Bicycle Tires. 
Okay, guys, we got a few more things to get to. Our boy Cade Clayson pretty much always calls in if A Ray's in studio or vice versa. A Ray's going to call in if Cade's in. They are basically like the the married couple. You know, that they're they're the they have their man crush on each other a little bit. I love these two guys when they get together. Cracks me up. Uh, I, I'm very surprised they haven't killed each other yet this year, but probably because. You know, A Ray's been hurt, and they haven't really had a chance to to kill each other on the track. But um, I want to listen to what they talked about with A Ray's advice to Cade, because this A Ray being Cade's mentor, riding coach, while A Ray is hurt, seems like a disaster waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. And even Alex has been somewhat helpful. Like after the main event or after the LCQ, I came back and I'm like, sit down, and I look at my phone. And I have like 15 text messages and each one of them is just one word. It's like insult, compliment, insult, compliment, insult, compliment. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't and get I'm a text like, back and I'm, I'm very, I'm very pissed off about that because I was like, dude, hold on, hold on. Let's see. Hold on. Let me pull this up. All right. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 text messages. Well, can we do the fucking rhythm after the finish? No, dude, it's terrifying. I, okay. To be fair, I tried to do it first lap of the heat race. And I didn't make it over the top, and I endoed into the single, oh. blew my face off the bars. And <laughs> well, next lap you hit it faster, what? and then and then crashed two turns later. Simple and math. Like, well, yeah, well, probably not going to do that again. Yeah, simple math. He just hit math. it faster. Just, yeah, fuck. Press the throttle harder. Yeah, yeah. he seat bounced every jump on the fucking track. Anyways, seat bounce that one. Get a little bit more height because we don't see a lot of uh, technique. And whenever we look at photos of Cade, or when we think, right. yeah, when we that's think. not true, I, dude. It's not true. Your Sometimes elbows are up, but your knees are on. out, bud. Sometimes I got the wide knees going on, and sometimes I forget to keep my head forward when I <laughs> try jumps for the first time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Archie, I love these guys. I like, I, I like, I really considered them buddies. I, lo- I love visiting with them at the track. I love when they get together or they're on the phone with each other and. This is something that's there's a lot of um, dynamic with relationships, whether it be Steve and JT or, or you know like A Ray and Cade that we hear on Pulpamex. But this is one of my favorites, and I just I don't know, man. It makes me happy. It brings joy to my life when those two guys are fucking with each other. <laughs> yeah, it's always good to hear some of that banter that goes on behind the scenes, but. Um... Yeah, I, I know A-Ray fairly well. Same with Cade. I mean, I don't, like, know them, know yeah. them. But, um, yeah, I mean, from just being at the track often, you know, we're cordial with each other and stuff like that. But, yeah, the relationship they have is pretty awesome. It's cool that they're on the same team. It's funny to hear them joke about, I mean, there were some stories that maybe some audio that you maybe, you know, could replay that's pretty funny. Um, some after main event stories that I thought was pretty comical. Um, we're gonna talk well about that just, yep <laughs> as well as just helping them on the track i mean i think it's cool it's it's cool to hear other riders you know willing to help each other even though we're all when we put our helmet on we're all competing against each other so yeah i mean i think it's really cool it's it's awesome just getting to know these guys yeah vin um how about like Cade was talking about his wife sarah she's you know de- i don't think she's actually deployed but she's training uh she's in the air force and, you know, hasn't talked to her in a couple of weeks. And he's like, yeah, A-Ray, you know, A-Ray has the emergency number in case something happens to me. And A-Ray's like, I do? I forgot that. <laughs> like, 
So, so A Ray, if you remember back to the game they did a few months or maybe a year ago when they were both in studio, it was like, you know, the best friends game. And Aaron's like, I don't know anything about you. Any of the, these questions, like, how do you know this about me? And he's like, it's called being a friend. You should try it. <laughs> uh, no, I, yeah, I love listening to both of these guys. And like the mentor thing, I think it's great because, yeah, I mean, A Ray's sketchy. Obviously, everybody knows that, but he knows. You know what I mean? He can watch other guys and know what's going on. Yeah. And I think that's cool. I think it's cool that he's just probably voluntarily taking that position oh, in that team so, yeah. you know, in his time off. You yeah, know, you don't think he's getting paid extra, do you? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think that's awesome. But I mean, they have conversations just like me and RJ have, you know, being that close of friends. And I think it's, it's cool that they could just go on the show and be the same people instead of changing that look, you know, to make them look more professional in front of thousands of people. Yeah. So no, I, I, I love when they're on together or when they call in when one another is on. Um, but yeah, I mean, Cade's been great. And I think for a guy like Alex, he's, he's trained with a lot of good people. You know, now he's got Davey and, and I think he could be a, a really big help to Cade. I, I, I don't disagree with you. Uh, and then, okay. Caller Spencer, he calls in and asks about a Ray's dirtiest takeout move on Cade. Okay. You want to know what the dirtiest one ever was? And I was super mad about it. We were practicing. This is when you were on a Husky. And we were on the bottom track along the road, A Ray. Okay. And we, I had just passed you in the 20, and you just came in and absolutely T boned me for no reason. And I, like, literally stopped mm. in the next straightaway and made us both stop and, like, threw my hands up at you. And, like, nobody saw it except JB, who was behind us. But I was so mad because, like, he literally, I had a tire mark up my leg from him just absolutely. <laughs> was it after, was it the left after the finish? Yeah. Like up, Do you remember that? Like oh, yeah. 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 Uh, oh, dude, yeah. I remember. Dude, I was like, I was going the, I was, you do the finish line and you do a sharp left, like, and you hit like a bank and then shoot yeah. right and then go to the, I was fucking opposite direction of him because he cut down. I'm like, <laughs> hey, we're like this. I'm just like, nah, fuck, fuck. it. I was living with him at the time. I was like, oh, fucking. oh that's funny. Hell yeah. Uh, uh, more good stuff from those guys. Uh, and the audio, RJ, I think you're probably talking about. I actually didn't pull the audio. I have to assume you're talking about A-Ray bringing chicks back after a race. They're sharing a room. Kay just wants to go to sleep. Uh, you know, he wakes up the next morning. And A-Ray's already gone to the airport, and the chick's still in the room. <laughs> like, holy shit. How many times? No wonder that, like, Sarah, A-Ray thinks Sarah doesn't like him. Like, I mean, no wife wants their husband in that situation. You know, hey, why don't you join us, Cade? You know, like, <laughs> oh, my God. A-Ray, oh, God. The stories that I, I feel like there could be a book, right? Like, you know, like the yes. the rock and roll books or the, the Led Zeppelin, the Motley Crue books. Like, A-Ray could probably write a book. Uh, privateer on the road stories, but yeah, great stuff. Uh, we'll probably go ahead and pass over all that stuff other than just, it's funny. So if you haven't listened, you got to go check it out because we've got a few more things to get to. Uh, I want to talk about motorsport.com. Those who ride dirt bikes, motorcycles, ATVs, and UTVs know motorsport is the best place for OEM and aftermarket parts, riding gear, and accessories. Motorsport.com's dedicated team of gearheads have the knowledge and expertise to help get your ride working at peak performance and have you looking good too. Whether you race on the track, ride on the trails, or commute on the street, make your next ride your best ride only at motosport.com. All right, Race Tech Rant. That's what I want to get to next, guys. This is almost always my favorite segment. Every once in a while, they're a little bit of a clunker. But uh, Pulp 22 to save at Race Tech, and let's listen. 
Uh, Race Tech rant of the night. Uh, this goes back to the Chiz fill-in ride. Uh, Pulp 22 is a code to save with Racetech, Racetech.com. The, do your motor work, to do your suspension work. Okay, so Star hires Chiz. Mm-hmm. And then I get tweets and DMs and Instagram comments about why didn't they hire Phil? Mm-hmm. Or, or Enzo. Or, or, or Enzo. They have a team. Like, they get paid. They've signed a contract. You can look at Club MX and look at their top 10 rider list and see that they're all wearing FXR and they all got the same bikes. They're on a team. That's like saying, why don't they just call Brandon Hartraft? Yeah, he's on a team. You can't. You've signed a contract. It's a good team. Good bikes, as we talked about earlier. It's not so simple to just throw out the name of your favorite rider and be like, why don't they fill in with that guy? Like... These people are just so ridiculous. Not every single person knows as much as you. But you know they're on a team, don't you? It's kind of common sense. He says, if I'm just a casual fan, I'm Team Chiz. They don't fucking know the difference. He's on a team. But they don't know that. Why don't they know that? Because what do they think? There's layers of people that don't know certain things. So you gotta, you're the guy that they come to for the information. So why are you complaining about people coming to you for information? They're not coming for me. They're not saying, Mathis, why can't Phil ride for them? They're saying, why don't they hire Phil? Pick up Phil. That's what they're saying. They're not saying, Mathis, could Phil go over there? Question mark? Right. Dear dear Steve? I cut people a little bit more slack than you at times. But you don't have to deal with them. I deal with similar things you when it comes to my email. You deal with them. You open this Pandora's box of people. You've opened it. I've been doing this goddamn show for 12 years. Yes. And my only goal in life is to try to educate these people. And I would think over 12 years, I've covered this a time or fucking two. People think that they know us personally because of the show. And how they speak to you reflects that. All right. So there's a few things with this rant. Uh, RJ, you first. I totally agree with Chris said at the very with what Chris said at the very end. As a fan, the the fans, and I, I've talked about this a few times. I, I, I Steve compares his show a little bit to Howard Stern, and I, I use that analogy a lot. Like people that listen to Howard think they know Howard, and they know Robin. They know how they think because they live with them. They listen in their car. They listen in their home. They they feel like they know the or the Howard Stern family, just like fans of Pulp feel like we know this cast of characters. We know who Kiefer is. We know how he is at home. We know how Steve is. So as a fan, you feel like when you send a tweet, a, a message on Instagram, a sarcastic message, you feel like I'm just doing what you guys do on the show. I'm communicating the way you've taught me to communicate with your show and, and I mean, there are people that maybe are just somewhat ignorant or are assholes, but in general, the Pulp fans are playing along with Steve, and he does not play well back if he doesn't know you. I mean, yeah, I agree to a certain extent with that. I mean, I do think Steve has opened up this world to fans that they feel like they can have this connection. You know, they yes. can email Steve, they can DM him on Instagram, and they, they're stoked because they can have a response you know it's like it's like some sort of outlet where they can actually connect with the person who's putting out this information same thing you can call into a show you know all that kind of stuff i think it's great i mean yeah at times i understand where he's coming from like it's tough it's like 
guys, do you watch the sport of motocross, the sport of supercross? Are you realizing what you're asking me? But man, there are some people out there that just, they don't know and they, they might not understand and they're pumped that they can reach out to Steve and Steve's going to give them an answer or even keeper. Um, so it's a two sided coin on that one, but, um, you know, it's, it is cool that, that they can reach out and, and get an answer from the, the source themselves. Even if it's a sarcastic answer, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. (laughs) Probably half the time you're going to get a sure. sarcastic. Well, I think that's what you Steve hope for Rappers. too. I think you kind of hope for yeah. that. But Vin, like, I don't think somebody, like, there's not whatever Joe Smith, Joe Blow. He doesn't say, Steve, why don't they take, you know, whoever he said Enzo instead. And like, I don't think Joe Blow knows they can't really take Enzo. Like, they they don't know that they're asking legitimately. I mean, yeah, you might think well, that's a really stupid question. But they don't know that it's like to you, Steve Mathis, that that's a dumb question that you like, that's no way that's going to happen. They don't know that like, or they wouldn't ask. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'll go based off of this. I'm sure Steve knows this because he's tied in and knows probably more than anybody, but they tried to get a uh, that club guy. I I'm pretty sure, but I think some had to have come out of Enzo's pocket and then some extra would have had to come out of Bobby's pocket. But at the end of the day, like Steve is the guy, he's the watch of our sport, right? He's the ESPN analyst of our sport. And, Ooh, that's and giving I him think, a little too much. I mean, I no, feel yeah, like that's accurate. I'll you know what you. I mean? Like, yeah. but that's the thing. And then, like you said, um, even for a guy like me, sometimes I'm scared to approach Steve and ask him something because He's, it seems like time to time he's boys with the guys he's boys with, but if you're not in that circle, it's like a, lim- a little intimidating to go ask him something because you don't know how he's going to react. There's some truth to that. I've had other people say that to me that have met him. He does keep his circle pretty tight, and you, he he can he has a tendency to make people feel like he's he thinks he's in the cool kids club and he doesn't want you there. But Vin, I t- guarantee you, if you went up, introduce yourself, you know, you might have to do it a couple times. He, he's not going to be like, yeah, fuck you, go away. You know, he's not that way. I've seen him take time for random fans, you know, walking to the press conference or whatever. Like, he will do that. He just has this little bit of an aura around him. Like you said, that he's a little bit unapproachable, unapproachable but he's, I don't, he's really not. You just, you got to, it takes a little bit though. You got to, you got to, you got to give him a little bit of time to kind of get to know you and, and, you know, and know that like you're not going to be in a, weirdo like you know like he's talked about but but I, I you're not wrong I've, I've been told that many times from people so um fair fair point but i got one more rant that i want to bring up uh let's listen to this last piece of audio if i'm doing 80 and you're doing 65 get the fuck over well, get over i'm with you I'm, and there's I'm, no one for two fucking miles in front of you the, the worst is the semi-truck drivers you drive for a fucking living you don't have to get anywhere fast you're fine and you're gonna pull out up a hill you're gonna you're going up a hill. You're and gonna they pull drag up. race the other diesel, and you're just gonna pull up up the hill. Really, guy? Really? <laughs> you can literally see on the drive from here to California, one truck will have three miles of cars behind them. Yes. You know, you'll be coming over a ridge, and you'll be like, "Oh, yeah, look at that asshole!" <laughs> just driving behind the other asshole. Race that round of the night. Go get fucked. <laughs> All right. The reason I <laughs> use this one is this one hits home for me, guys. I absolutely am borderline road rage. I am fucking furious when somebody's in the left-hand lane and not passing. I don't care 
if the speed limit's 75 and you're doing 90 in the left and the guy on the right's doing 90, if I'm doing 95, get the fuck out of the way. Oh, man, this people and they're driving. When I drove to Arlington Supercross a couple weekends ago, I didn't think I was ever going to get there. There were so many 18-wheelers in the left-hand lane trying to pass, going uphill, knowing they're going to lose momentum and just sit there side-by-side for another five miles. This thing was so close to my heart. I had to touch on it. Please, please, for the love of God, Vin, tell me you don't disagree. Yeah, I mean, come drive around New York City for the day and let me know how you feel after that. Yeah, I bet. uh, I can't stand it. I mean, we have a little bit slower speed limits around here, but still, like, there'll be nobody on the road and somebody's doing 50 in the left lane. And it's like, get the hell out of my way. Like, I have places to go. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Now, I can't. Yeah, can't tr- stand it. RJ, RJ probably enjoys it. Yeah, this know. is the true test. <laughs> RJ, where are we at, man? All right. So I, I totally agree with you guys, but oh god, you have my Class A license. So do I. I have, I have transported heavy equipment at times. Yeah. And sometimes you think you can make the pass, especially if you're in like a 13 speed and you don't want to shift quite yet, stuff like that. You're trying to make the pass on the other semi. So being a semi-truck driver, at times, you think you can shoot the gap. Sometimes it doesn't work. I am sorry to the people in vehicles. Now, when I'm Cut in my off, personal Cut vehicle... Cut him off. I already <laughs> did. He's, he's gone already. <laughs> when I'm in my personal, yes, I get aggravated. Get out of the way, especially if you're going fast. Like, I'm with you on that. But Here, come on, I had to throw that in. Two things, man. If you're in a transport, an 18-wheeler, and you're trying to make the pass, and you realize, fuck, I'm not going to make it, let off, slide back in behind the guy, try again, but don't stay <laughs> side by side for miles. I'm such a, like, so conscientious of other people, not even in just driving. Like, when I, but we're speaking of driving, if I see somebody coming up behind me, like, I get the fuck out of the way. I don't pull out in front of people. Uh, I mean, dude, if I'm at a, like, at a traffic light, I try to move to the left-hand lane to leave the right lane open so people can turn or get all the fucking way over so they can still turn. Like I'm so conscientious of other people that it just it bothers because it bothers me so much that people are so unaware and so self-absorbed. Whew, I need to that's man, very, I need that's very nice of you. I appreciate people I, like you. I really need a package of our jerky and some sweet tea right now to calm <laughs> down. We're almost I can done. Use that in the paycheck too. A what? I said I could use a package of hard jerky in that paycheck. That paycheck. In the mouth for a year. Yeah. 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 I don't have <laughs> it, man. Okay. Couple more things. We're about done. Um, I just want to do some rapid fire stuff. Uh, the trivia contest between Chris and A Ray. It was one of my least favorite trivia contests I've ever heard on there. I like the personal stuff, like we talked about with Cade and A Ray. We getting the, you know when it's personal facts about each other. The, the Moto Trivia stuff, I was kind of like, eh, I don't care, man. I just I want to hear these guys like not know each other. How do you, do you just, yes or no, um, RJ, do you like the trivia games in general? Do you find it entertaining? Yes, I do. Uh, Vin? Yeah, I do. I scream at the, I scream at the stream while they're on. Yeah, generally I do. I did, <laughs> this one, man, just didn't get me, but uh, I don't know. So that's, that's me, though. It's, it doesn't have to always be about pleasing me. So I don't think Steve really gives a shit what I think. Uh, JT was on at one point, obviously Jason Thomas from fly racing and 
they were talking about where Chiz would finish. We, we talked about Chiz a little while ago. Most everybody said 7-10. to 10. A-Ray said 7-10 with a fifth. And then on, um, damn it, what's the, the reaction pod they did yesterday about Kenny, Paul Parabinos was on there, and they touched on Chiz at the end, and he actually said 5-10. to 10. So I want to get your guys' thoughts. Like, what is, give me, uh, Vin, give me Chiz's best finish on a 250 for star. Yeah. Okay, I, I like that. Uh, how about you, RJ? Um, man, I, give him a couple weeks. There, there's a chance he could podium. Honestly, Ooh. he's good. I'd yeah. like to say I'd like to agree with you, being the Chiz fan I am. But I, I don't remember his results in 18. I think it was 18 when he was on a 250 last when he went back down, and I don't feel like they were as good as his 450. Res- well, I mean, his 450 results, you know, are. 15 or whatever, but like, I don't feel like he looked as good on the 250, but then the, the field's not as deep either. So yeah. Can I chime in quick? Yeah, absolutely. Quick? Absolutely. Like, like me and Arge were actually talking about this exact subject the other day. If you put a guy like Enzo Lopes in the 450 class, where would you put him? Oh, uh, whew, man, that's tough. I oh. know it. I know it, it's two totally different questions, yeah. but I mean, Chiz could be on that level. Yeah. I would say 15th back. So, okay, because you're saying, yeah, he's on the same level maybe as Chiz on a 450. Or maybe even worse. Yeah, okay, I'm with you. Eh, Good point. I guess we're going to find out. You know what, though? I'm a Chiz guy, so I say he wins. Fuck it, he wins. Let's go. Yeah. That'd be cool. That would be cool. He said uh, his best finish is fourth place in a 250 main event. Yeah. And I just think that it's going to take him a couple weeks. I mean, I think he'll be right around the 10th place finish this weekend. Anything better is going to be outstanding. He's like he said, he's only ridden the bike a couple of times. Like, give him some time to adjust to this thing. It is going to be different. Um, but as far as if he can get a good start, like the dudes raced Supercross. Like, what did they say? A hundred and oh, well, I think, think one fifty five. Yeah. Oh, oh no, wait, well, that was yeah. I hang on. You know what? I'm I right. mean, yeah. Keep talking. That, I think I have it. Re- regardless, I mean, he's done so many main events. It's it, it's not going to be a track he's never seen before. Conditions he's never seen before. It's going to just be him getting used to the bike. I mean, he knows how to ride. He, he's a racer. I think he's going to be totally fine. Give him a couple of weeks. I mean, why not? Why couldn't he get a good start and run the pace? A couple of cards fall his way. I don't know. Yeah, 139 mains. 139. It's impressive. Yeah. Very impressive. Yeah. All right, a couple more questions yeah. here. A couple more rapid fires. Uh, A-Ray had mentioned like retirement. They were talking about, you know, what he's going to do. And Steve said something like they were talking about retirement with somebody. I don't know if it was A-Ray's retirement. I can't remember, but Steve made the comment. Retirement means never working again. And here's just a point where I want to prove Steve wrong. That's not true. Like you can retire from a job and then go to another job and you can retire again. You can literally get two retirement checks. If you want to work at a second place long enough, Retirement does not mean never working again, Vin. Sorry. Incorrect. No, I'm, yeah, I'm fully with you here. Uh, my dad is actually just about to retire from the city of New York, and he does plenty of side work during the week. So there's no retirement yeah. for him. It's just it's just more time dedicated towards something else. I'd like to talk to your dad because I work for the city where I live, and I'd love to know what he does in New York. That'd be cool. Okay. Yeah, we'd have to, we'd have to, Absolutely. We'd have to do that sometime. All right, both of you. Um La- you have you you own a factory team. The last spot available: Justin Cooper or uh, Colt Nichols. RJ, Justin Cooper, Vin. Come on, New York boy. Come on, Justin Cooper. 
Well, I'm going to be devil's advocate, advocate and go with Colt Nichols because he has a cool dangling earring, and I dig it. <laughs> uh, does A-Ray's relationship with Sam help him or hurt him? RJ. Ooh, come on. That's tough. I'm going to go with help. I think so. Uh, Vin. Yeah, if it's solid, it's for sure helping. Uh, I can tell by experience that when it's solid, you know, you're in the right mindset and it, it does help. Yeah, both of you are in relationships, right? Vin, you're still with your your uh, girlfriend that worked for Help Failed out last year? I am. Yep. And RJ, you were in a relationship, as I recall? Yes, yeah, six years now. Yeah, yeah. Your brother told me like you, you, you do relationships well. <laughs> I try. <laughs> All right. So that's going to lead me into Kiefer After Dark. We're just going to barely touch on it well first of all do you guys like Kiefer after dark uh vin yeah i do i enjoy it rj absolutely and i <laughs> every single time they played the little voiceover from jim holly um i'm not gonna i, I, I don't know if i'm allowed to say it or yeah not, of course I you are yeah when, when they said how about anal bleaching when holly <laughs> says that yeah i laughed so hard because oh. my dad and Jim go way back. Oh, cool. Jim's, we have a pretty good relationship with Jim Holly. So, I yeah. mean, I've heard all these stories and <laughs> I love After Dark. That's my favorite. Yeah, I, I pulled so many drops from that episode. That's where Marks gets a lot of those drops from me. I just sent, I, I have a bunch from this show uh, from Kiefer After Dark. They're, they're, if you guys want to, once this thing's posted, and go back and listen to the very beginning before you guys come on, there's about two and a half, three minutes of just drops. Different things that I thought were funny throughout the show, and there's a ton of stuff on there. A bunch of A-Ray drops, a bunch of the stuff from uh, Kiefer After Dark, including Chris's question. He asked Steve, like, have you ever had a girlfriend with, like, a brown butthole? Or I can't remember exactly how he worded it. And Steve doesn't really like talking about that stuff. And he's like, man, don't, don't you ever like look at, at him a hundred percent every inch of him? And she said, no, but so here's my question. Either one of you ever had a girlfriend with a brown butthole of in negative <laughs> RJ. <laughs> I'm going to go with no, um, but I am going to comment on prior relationships. My girlfriend's going to hate me for this, but uh, anytime you get the chance, get the full scope you gotta get it right i mean i yeah. just think that's if, if you're going for it like you get the whole view like i'm you, not you I, yeah, I stay away from the butthole play and the yeah i don't i don't need to see that either i'm out i'm, I'm with steve on that particular yeah i don't need to see that man i'm just yeah but Kiefer after dark grill your ass off a sponsor of that i want to thank once again motorsport.com guts racing michelin bicycle tires seal savers as well as all the sponsors of pulp mix all you got to do is go to pulpmixshow.com click on the sponsor deal tabs uh sponsor deals tab there are multiple sponsors there with discount codes there's some uh sponsors you hear about that there may not be a link there may not be a discount code use that contact form on pulpmixshow.com and hit up steve and if he can get you a discount or help you out he will and those, those sponsored codes include the Eat Our Jerky Code, Fly Racing, uh, Guts Racing, et cetera, et cetera, X-Brand Goggles. Uh, before I let you guys go, Vin, anything that I missed that you wanted to touch on? No, I think we pretty much went over the, you know, the biggest points of the show. One thing I did want to bring up about Enzo. Yeah. Is, have, you, have you ever gone to the Supercross Live like Instagram page on race day? It is just filled with Enzo Lopes. 
fan base in the comments. Oh wow! The whole no. comment, the whole the whole set of comments are just Brazil flags, go Enzo. Yeah, and it's it, it's pretty comical. And then uh, one more thing, Steve. I don't think you're a dick. I just I feel like 2002 or newer. I'm game, and I just I, it's like my dream to bench race with him one day. So. Yeah, One day is, I hope I can make that happen. Yeah, we need to get you in t- contact. I mean, with as well as you did on Pulp Fantasy and being a privateer, uh, you know, I know you're not racing right now, you know, Supercross, but man, yeah, we need to get you in contact with them. Uh, RJ, you, anything we missed? Anything you want to touch on? No, I mean, I feel like we went over a lot of great points, and yeah, I was just pumped to uh, shoot the shit with you guys and go over everything. It was an awesome show. Yeah, it was a lot of fun having you guys on. RJ, I appreciate you reaching out. You know, I, I kind of made that call out a couple, two shows ago about like, man, I want some more people. And I had a lot of random listeners reach out and I'm going to work on getting those guys on too. <clears throat> Excuse me, but Steve really likes to have some industry guys. So you guys reaching out, I appreciate it. I definitely will want to have you on an, again. We'll do it again if you want. And uh, it was a lot of fun, man. So thank you so much. But other than that, guys, we are out of here. Why would you want to re-talk about the Pulp Show? See